images of Christ and we look at the topics of image and lust and tonight we've got a topic of depression. Let me tell you about uh, Greg. Greg's a friend of mine from Oxford in the UK. I've known him for about 12 years. I was in church uh, about seven years ago and he came and sat next to me. I said to him the usual, how are you going Greg? And he said, oh I'm fine. But Greg didn't look fine. Uh, his, his face was sort of sunken and you know, we went out for a beer afterwards and we chatted and it all came tumbling out. Uh, for weeks he'd felt uh, no energy, uh, lack of appetite. He said he was sulky, he was moody, he, he was grumpy, he, he was irrational. And it wasn't the Greg who I knew, the Greg who I loved. And over time I just suggested that maybe he needed some help and yes, he had depression. Two years ago I spoke at KYLC and I met a girl called Sally. I'd known her for a few years. But in two years since I'd last seen her, I said to her, how are you going? And she explained that for two years she felt like she couldn't get out of bed in the morning. She woke up and just couldn't get out of bed. And she described it as, I can't face the world. I've got no energy. Everything I do is an effort. I feel useless. I feel constantly tired. It's like this black cloud that hangs over me. She had depression. Another guy I know called Ed. Ed is a, a footy player. You know, he's sort of a big bloke, a bit like me. So, uh, you know, stocky bloke. Um, Ed is depressed. And he describes it how he's walking around and he's tearful the whole time. And just little things just trigger it off. He just can't stop crying. So as they've got depression, they say, I wake up most days and I wish I'd never been born. I feel a failure. I feel unloved and you ask what's the point and yes I've, I've contemplated suicide many times. Ruth suffered depression, she longs to talk to friends but they feel like friends won't understand her. She feels like no one cares and she feels like God doesn't care. A guy called Lee who used to come to this church, he describes that when he comes to church as a Christian he feels guilty because the preacher says that you should feel joyful but he doesn't feel joyful and so he leaves even more depressed and even more guilty. So depression, we can use lots of different words for it, you know, melancholy, feeling low, feeling glum, the blues or you know, the black dog of Winston Churchill. It's all the same thing, it's depression, it's that blackness, it's the overwhelming sort of flood that affects so many people. Let me say it affects both men and women. It affects both men and women. They, they might deal with it differently. So on the whole, men most of the time uh, act, or act away their depression. They turn to television, turn to sex, turn to alcohol, just do, do sport, do anything to try and pretend you haven't got it. And on the whole, women will, sort of, will try and think away their feelings, turn inwardly. But it affects both men and women. It affects marriages and singles. It affects old and young. And, and you know, there'll be people here who you wake up and you're, you battle with depression every day. And there'll be people here who you'll wake up one day in the future and suddenly your word will be, will be black. And there'll be people here who, who in God's great kindness will never battle and never suffer. But if you're a member of a church, you will know people who suffer. And my prayer is that tonight's talk will equip you and help you to help those who, who do suffer. So let me pray before we turn to the scriptures. Father, we, we thank you that you promised to be a God who comforts us, who challenges us, who equips us. Father, please help me to be uh, sensitive as I speak. Help me to be clear. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be helpful. And we pray most of all that Christ will be honoured through this talk. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. 
Let me start tonight by talking about the, the reality of depression. The reality of depression. Depression has been dubbed uh, the common cold of the modern mind. The common cold of the, the modern mind. And that's because it's just so frequent today. In Australia, a third of people who visit the doctor, a third of people who visit the doctor will suffer depression at some point. Lots of people don't ever visit the doctor, but a third of those who do visit the doctor will suffer depression at some point. Antidepressants are now among the most prescribed drugs in the world. In the UK, the rate's about 1 in 10. In the US, 20 million men are diagnosed with depression. According to the World Health Organization, by the year 2020, listen carefully, by the year 2020, acute depression, not hunger, not infectious disease, acute depression will be the world's second leading cause of death or disability. That's behind heart disease. Here in Australia, about a million people suffer at some point in their life. So popular figures like you know, Lee Hatcher or, or Matt Rogers who come out admitting they're depressed. And let me say, friends, that, become, that being a Christian doesn't exempt you from depression. Christians are not immune from depression. So you've got people like Martin Luther who was the great reformer. He was inflicted with depression his whole life. Uh, John Bunyan, the, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, he was inflicted with depression. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a great preacher, a great preacher. He was described as this, omnicompetent, eloquent, brilliant, full of energy, yet weeping like a baby for no reason. And he describes how for 20 years he scrambled in the dark among the rocks and precipices without a guide. And I'm just looking out of you. I know there are people sitting in the pews today who suffer with depression. And I'm sure there's lots of people who I don't know but do suffer with depression. And if you're a Christian, in a way, faith adds to the, the, the dimension of the suffering because you feel like God has abandoned you as well. And, and there's still a, a stigma attached to depression. You know, so for the sufferer, there's that sense of embarrassment or sense of shame. That's perhaps why about 80% of people never bother to seek professional help. And there's still this stigma, stigma because depression is still seen as a weakness in some way. So in a recent survey, 54% saw depression as a sign of weakness rather than illness. And then you read some Christian books and the Christian books just tell you that, that depression is always a consequence of your sin and then you feel even worse and even more guilty. So before we launch into what depression looks like, let's get a few facts straight. Depression is the, the, this wide spectrum. So on the one end of the spectrum, you've got those occasional times when you feel low and you feel the blues and it's just temporary, it's just rare, it soon passes. And at the other end, you've got these acute depressions where you know, you're suicidal and you're, maybe you're psychotic even. They're the two endpoints, the blues or the suicidal. But then you've got every point in between. It's not one size fits all. And the point at which you fall in that spectrum often depends on the cause of depression. I'm not an expert, uh, uh, but from my research, there seems to be two basic forms. There's the, the circumstantial depression and there's the clinical depression. So the circumstantial depression is just that you know, your circumstances, they cause you to feel low for a while. So put yourself I in the shoes of, of a young mum who has had three kids in, in five years and these kids are constantly screaming and she's got no sleep and she just hits rock, hits rock bottom. That's circumstantial. Or, or the businessman who's so overworked, so stressed and you know, one bad transaction leads to breaking point or the grinding stress of a debilitating illness that won't go away or the, the devastation of a broken relationship and your whole world collapse. That's circumstantial. 
all the consequences of the past, you know, the, the, the devastating and emotional effects of, of, of sexual abuse or emotional abuse that leads you to depression years later. That's circumstantial, situational. And then you've got clinical depression at the other end where your body chemistry, chemistry is just so out of whack. And it's a medical condition needing medical help. M- my point is not to get technical, it's to show that not all depression is the same. It's not one size fits all. But it's still a, a big issue. And whilst medical help is important, it's a real step. I want to describe another pill tonight. It's called the Word of God. It's called the Bible. And I would suggest that we take a psalm like twice a day with food to help us in this battle with depression. Let's look at Psalm 42 and 43 and let's look at the, the agony of depression. The psalmist is very real. He's full of emotional language. It's up on your screen. Psalm 40 verses 1 to 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He, he turned to me, he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud, out of the mire. Or, or Psalm 69, verses 1 and 2. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depth where there's no foothold. I've come to the deep waters, the floods engulf me. Now, do, you, do you sense that helplessness, the, the desperation, the, the hopelessness? He's overwhelmed, he's burdened, he, he's drowning. You can sense the agony in the psalmist. And it's almost like, you know, if you've got an inflamed eye, it stops you from seeing clearly. If you've got a sprained ankle, it stops you from walking clearly. If you're suffering depression, it stops you from thinking clearly or feeling clearly or rationally. It's just debilitating. And I think the psalmist captures some of the emotional agony. Look at Psalm 42, verse 3. He says, My tears have been my food day and night while men say to me all day long where is your God he's saying I'm tearful I I can't stop crying the the tears roll day and night I can't control myself I've lost my appetite I can't be bothered to it I just cry all the time and then there's that inner turmoil he's disturbed verse 5 look at it with me why are you downcast O my soul why is so disturbed within me that's the repeated phrase it's there in verse 11 why so disturbed within me He's saying, I'm emotionally flat. My tank is empty. I'm just bubbling away inside. I've got nothing inside. And then he slips into a kind of self-pity in verse 9. I say to my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why? Why must I go about mourning oppressed? Why? I think part of the problem is that for the psalmist, life hasn't always been like this. He remembers what life used to be like. So verse 4, look at it. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy. See, this guy who wrote the psalm according to the superscript is a son of Korah. He used to lead the music in church. He used to lead the procession. He was the worship leader. He's saying, I used to praise God, but now it's just nothing but sadness and turmoil and depression. Isn't that part of the agony of depression? People say... I never used to be like this. I wish I could turn back time. I don't know whether you've ever been surfing. I'm utterly useless at surfing. I I pretend to be a surfer, but I'm utterly useless. I've got this knack of catching a wave at exactly the wrong time. You catch it, and so you're absolutely pummeled. And so the board's going everywhere, and I'm going everywhere, and I get completely smashed. And and you've got that feeling where you're, you're under the water, 
and you don't know which way is up, you know which way is down, and you're in like tumble dry, and you're gasping for air. That's exactly how this psalmist feels. He feels like he's drowning. He feels like he's being smashed by the surf, if you want. Verse 7. Deep course to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers are swept over me. He's saying, I'm just struggling to get my head above water. I feel like I'm drowning here. Now, I don't know whether you know people with depression or you've got depression. Isn't that what the symptoms, you know? Tearful, disturbed within, self-pity, a feeling of just drowning. And let me say, to watch someone that you love go through those emotions, it tears your heart out. The thing about the depression for the Christian is that you can't separate the physical from the spiritual. For the Christian, the, 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 the mind, the body and the spirit, they're all connected. And so you've got this spiritual agony as well. The spiritual agony goes something like this, that the Bible tells us that you're a child of light, but you wake up every day and you feel like you're a child of darkness. And the Bible tells us that we belong to God and God is good and God cares, but then you wake up and say, I don't feel like that. And so spiritually we're dry. Look at verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, O God. My, my soul thirsts for God, for a living God. Where can I go and meet with God? He's saying, I, I'm like an animal in the drought. You know, they, they wander around, they're lethargic, they're weary, they're desperate, and their tongue sticks to the roof of their mouth, and they, they pant for water, they're thirsty. That's how the psalmist feels, he's dry. He doesn't want people, he doesn't want pills, he wants God. He's thirsty for God. And yet God seems so distant. Verse 2, where can I go and meet with God? Where are you, God? Note that this is not a cry of unbelief. This is a cry of belief. In a, a cry from a heart of faith, he longs to sense God's presence again. See, if there's no relationship with God, he wouldn't feel this not like this. That's the added burden for the Christian. It adds to the torment. He's dry, he's distant, and he's disheartened. Look at me at verse, um, verse 1 and 2 of, of, of Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against the ungodly nation. Rescue me. Verse 2, you are God, my stronghold, so why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning? Why oppressed by the enemy? He's saying, you know, it's like a child who, who runs to their father. A child who's perturbed, who's distressed, and they run to the father, and the father doesn't seem to care. That's what he feels like. He runs to God, he cries out to God, but he feels that God doesn't care. And so he starts to question, why, why, why? Don't you feel the agony? This man feels abandoned. He feels rejected by God. He, needs deep, he knows deep down that's not true, but that's how, he's, that's how he feels. Now many of you know that uh, a couple of years ago I went through a really low patch. I don't think I was depressed. I don't think I suffered depression. But you know, an accumulation of events, a couple of traumas, and I couldn't cope. And at times like that, I can identify with these feelings. You know, God, where are you? God, are you there? Have you deserted me? Why, God? You know, I knew my Bible, I was preaching every week, but I felt that God was distant. And you know, it's really hard when you get low not to listen to your feelings, because your feelings overwhelm you. That's how the psalmist feels. That's the agony of depression. It affects the body, your body aches, you're in pain, you're in illness, it affects the emotions, you're all over the place, and it affects your spiritual life. You're dry, you're distant, you're disheartened. And I'm sure there are people here tonight who can identify with that heart cry of verse 1. You know, as a deer pants for water, my soul pants for you, O God. 
And I'm sure there are people here tonight, and this is completely foreign territory. You're thinking, what are you on about, Paul? Let me just say that it's real for many people, and you may have to help somebody grapple with this. So what, what is the answer? How do we deal with depression? Deal is actually the wrong word. The right word is battle. How do you battle with depression? How do you help the depressed? The answer is not retail therapy. It's not comfort eating. It's certainly not stiff upper lip. You know, The damage done by Christians who say, oh, cheer up, put yourself together. It'll be okay in the end. Or, or the Christian who says, oh, things aren't really that bad, are they? And the depressed person says, yes, they are. How do you help someone battle with depression? See, long before psychiatry and psychology, according to the Puritan pastors, you had two weapons. You had, you had your body and you had your Bible. You had the medical side and you had the scriptural side. O- on the physical side, you know, Do- Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a great preacher. He's also a physician. And he says this, never overlook the physical there are certain physical ailments that promote depression. That was certainly true for Spurgeon. His gout caused his melancholy. Same today, you know. You're tired, you're burnt out, you burn the candle at both ends, you're sick, and that affects your moods. We're made to rest. We're made for refreshment and exercise and diet and a balanced life. That is helpful in depression, taking care of your body. A classic sign that someone could be slipping into depression is workaholism. You know, you're too scared to admit you're depressed, so you throw yourself into work. And the more you work, the more run down you get, and the more run down you get, the more you withdraw, and the spiral continues. Take care of your body, exercise, eat well. And medication does help. For some people, antidepressants is the way forward. For clinical depression, a good doctor with the right antidepressants is essential. But let me say this, and this may be controversial. Pills by themselves are are not the answer. Pills by themselves are not the answer. Pills are not our saviour. Jesus Christ is our saviour. We need a God-centred, Bible-saturated response to depression. Let me attempt one right now from this psalm. Firstly, look inside. Look inside. Did you notice that repeated phrase in in our psalm, Psalm 42? Look at verse 5. Why are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? It's there again in verse 11. Why are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? It's there again in 43 verse 5. Why are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed? See, he's asking, why do I feel like this? Why am I so burdened? Why am I so overwhelmed? Why? People tell us that talking to yourself is the first sign of madness. But actually talking to yourself is a first sign of maturity. To ask yourself the question, is there a good reason why I'm feeling like this? You know, if you've just suffered a great loss, if you are disappointed, if you've got an illness that won't, won't go away, it's perfectly reasonable to feel low. You know, darkness is just part of life and Christians aren't exempt from it. You know, look, in, look at your inner self, ask the inner question, talk to yourself if you want. You know, when, when the voice says, go and just stay in bed all day, say, no, 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 I'm going to get out of bed and do something. When your inner voice says, God doesn't love me, then you dig deep and say, no, God does love me because of Jesus. Talk to yourself, look inside. Secondly, look back. It, it, it can be good to look back to the better times. You know, memories can be good. Because actually, if you read verse 4 rightly, 
These things are not a bitter, negative frustration. He's saying, I remember the good times. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude. Or let me read verse 8, literally. It says, By day the Lord used to direct his love. At night his song was with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He looks back and he says, There was a time when God felt real. There was a time when God felt close. It wasn't fake, it was true. It's like the stories you hear of you know, the prisoners who have been in jail for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years and they're married and all they've got is, is a picture of their wife and over the years that picture gets more and more battered uh, but it gets battered and battered and battered but just looking at that picture it reminds them to look back and say that's what life was like and I am married and it can be like that again. Looking back, that can be really helpful. You know, write down all, all, all the good things that God has done for you. Remember the time when you did taste that God was good. What life was like and what life can be like again. Look back to that. Look inside. Look back. Look to others. Look to other people. Talking to people with, with depression, when you're depressed, your, your world seems to shrink. And you slip into patterns where your world shrinks and shrinks and shrinks until the whole world revolves around you. So I remember Greg saying to me, sorry Paul, I can't take on other people's problems, I've got enough problems with myself. Bill Leslie was a, an American pastor. He suffered depression and one day he was reading Isaiah 58 and he read these words, they're on your screen. And if you spend yourselves, if you, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the, the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land. And Bill Leslie describes how that's, that, that passage of scripture was like the lights went on. He says, pour yourselves out for other people. Help other people. Help the hungry. Help the oppressed. And you will flourish as you give to others. It's kind of saying, don't be so self-absorbed and start to be other people-centered. Now please don't hear that in a critical way. There'll be some people, in some cases, you just can't do that. You can't lift yourself out of the pit. But sometimes you can. And helping other people can be really helpful to take the mind off yourself. So help others, but also talk to others. Now, a Christian counsellor is essential. But how good is, is one or two trusted Christian friends, someone who you can talk to, be honest with, articulate your feelings? Because in God's kindness, you're part of a church. And God places brothers and sisters alongside you. If he won't give up on you, Many of us know uh, John Newton as the man who wrote the song Amazing Grace. And Newton was never depressed. He was actually a really joyful Christian. Uh, he's quite the opposite. He was filled with joy. He was filled with happiness. But Newton was a pastor and a friend to a man called William Cooper. Here are the two guys. They're on your screen now. Cooper's on the left and Newton's on the right. Uh, and William Cooper had a, a total breakdown. He attempted suicide three times. He was in a real pit. Uh, and Cooper used to express his faith, if you want, through hymns and through poetry. And he penned many a famous hymn, but he spent his whole life in this deep, dark depression. He describes it as feeling utterly forsaken. Uh, he repeated suicide uh, seven times in total. And God graciously preserved his life. Throughout his life, this man, John Newton, he stood by him. He stood by him as a pastor and as a friend. Uh, not just with the, 
the pious platitudes but in a very practical way you know, one year Newton sacrificed his holiday because he didn't want to leave William Cooper alone and even when Newton moved to another parish for 20 years he went back and visited he wrote regularly he paid for Cooper to go and visit him in his new parish and I'm sure it wasn't much fun for Newton I'm sure there was times when he thought I can't do this anymore yet he stuck by Cooper and he told Cooper how much God loved him and told Cooper how much he loved him you know Newton would talk about how, how he'd regularly have to sit with, with William Cooper, how he'd read the scriptures, how he'd remind him that, that Christ had died for him and that God's mercy and God's goodness was poured out in Christ. That's a friend who stands by you in depression. You know, don't despair the despairing. Never give up on people who are going through depression. Be patient with them. Be gentle with them. Be practical. Cook meals. Clean their house. Stand by them. Be flexible because they'll often let you down. Be a friend. Look to others. Look inside. Look back. But primarily look to Christ. Look to, Lord, look to our Lord Jesus Christ. Cry out to Jesus. Tell God how you're feeling. The thing that struck me about Psalm 42 and 43 is the number of, the, is the number of times he asks, Why? Why? Ten times he cries out, Why God? why God verse 5 why verse 5 why verse 9 why verse 11 why God can handle your frustration God can handle it he knows it sure there's a fine line between confusion and sin but it's okay to cry out to God I mean God himself has voiced frustration hasn't he remember on the cross Jesus said my God my God why why have you forsaken me and the agony of Jesus in the garden he says my soul is in anguish to the point of death cry out to God cry out to Jesus if it's your thing you know sing to God you know, praise my soul the king of heaven my Jesus my saviour put a new song in my heart learn to cry out to Christ and learn to cast yourself on Christ do you know how the psalmist describes God look with, it with me verse 2 He's the living God. My soul thirsts for the living God. Or verse 8. He is the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, the relational God. Or verse 9, I say to God, my rock. Or verse 11, my saviour and my God. He's the living God, he's Yahweh, he's the rock, he's the saviour. I don't mean to sound glib, but actually in Christ we have so much more tangible evidence that God is your rock and your living God and your saviour. For Christ to be your rock means that he is reliable, he's a firm foundation and perhaps you need to learn to live on the rock called Christ. You know, learn to say to yourself, I am justified, I am declared right with God through Christ alone. You know, when the dark clouds gather, you need to learn to say, I'm justified by grace alone, not by my merits. I'm justified by faith alone, not by my works. I'm justified by Christ alone, not by me. And I'm justified for the glory of God alone. Or like William Cooper, come to the foot of the cross. William Cooper wrote this. He said, Lord Jesus, you're my only hope. I have no righteousness in myself. Yes, darkness is all about me, but Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, I trust you. Cast yourself on Christ. Now from experience people who suffer with depression one thing they really lack is is assurance 
in dark times they lack assurance assurance that God loves them assurance that God that people love them I remember Ed the, the, the rugby player and he was sobbing you know, how can I be sure that God loves me how can I be sure and he, he wasn't asking for or, you know, he wasn't asking for the facts you know, he knew he was saved by grace through faith he knew that but he wanted proof he wanted to feel that and so I read the scriptures with him now, Jude 24 to the, now unto him who can keep you from falling and present you perfect in Christ and I reminded him that, you know, that God holds on to you even when you have no strength to hold on to him God holds on to you or, or Psalm 73 he says this I'm always with you you hold me by my right hand uh, you guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory my flesh and my heart may fail but, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever you see our, our faith goes up and down and, and sometimes your faith is, very, is, is, rarely, is barely visible but your assurance, your security doesn't come from your faith it comes from Christ's faithfulness you know, there are times when you, you know the verses, you know Romans 8, you know, it says, uh, you receive a spirit of sonship, and by him you cry, Abba, Father. But you're so weak and you're so vulnerable that it's that weak voice saying, Yes, I am God's child. Friends, if you're caring for someone with depression, please be sensitive. Please don't quote Bible verses at them in a vacuum, but please point them to Christ. Their assurance that it comes from Christ. He is their rock, He is their hope. He is their saviour. He is sufficient. Even in the darkest hour. Cry out to Christ. Cast yourself on Christ. And then wait. That's what the psalmist did. He waited. He waited patiently. Look at this psalm. Next, next slide. Okay, I haven't got it up there. I'll read it to you. I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he turned to me. And he heard my cry. I think one of the problems of our generation is that we're a very now culture. You know, you want money, you go to the ATM, you've got it now. You want to transfer money, you just go to the internet, you do it online. You want to buy something, you put it on your credit card, now, now, now. But sometimes in depression you sit there and you cry out and you wait and you wait and you wait. And sometimes it feels like God never answers your prayer. The thing about this psalm is that we, we never know whether God did answer his cry in the here and now. But we know, and my last point tonight is that looking forward, he will answer that cry. My last point is in the midst of depression, look forward. Look with me at verse 5. Why are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. For I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. This isn't a psalmist who's like, you know, gritted teeth. I will go to church. It's the last thing I do. I will go to Bible study. It's not that gritted teeth. I will praise my God. It's that, that peace, that confidence that floods him. You know, there will be a day when I will praise my Saviour. There will be a day when I will praise my God. One day the clouds will lift and one day I'll be full of praise. I don't know when, but I will and I'll wait for that day. And even if, like William Cooper, I'm depressed for the day I die, because of Christ, I know there will be a day when I will praise him. See, depression wasn't part of Eden. Depression is part of our fallen world. And our hope 
the hope of the psalmist is our risen Lord Jesus and all who put their trust in Jesus will be with him you know tears tears may well have been your food day and night but the day is coming when Christ will wipe away every tear from your eye and you may go about you may go about mourning every day day after day morning and morning and morning but the day is coming when there is no mourning and you may feel under attack but the day is coming when Christ has defeated once and for all all enemies and you might feel spiritually dry and you might pant after a glimpse of God but the day is coming when you won't pant you'll see God face to face and all the, the longings of your heart and the agony within it will be replaced by emotional joy as you see Christ and live with him for all eternity look forward wait and look forward I'm conscious of the very sensitive subject I haven't even begun to do it justice but as a church let's care for our brothers let's care for our sisters but most importantly let's put them to Christ he is our rock he is our hope he is our saviour and he is the one who will transform us let's pray Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Amen.